Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we will be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to another podcast for BDO Talks ERISA. I'm Beth Garner, National Practice Leader for our Employee Benefit Plan Audit Group and a partner here at BDO. We are so excited to have you join us today. As we have said before, this podcast is an extension of our BDO ERISA Center of Excellence. We developed the podcast to expand on topics and issues that we bring to you through our social media postings on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and our quarterly ERISA Roundup. The goal of our Center of Excellence is to truly help any plan sponsor and anyone charged with governance of their retirement plan with up-to-date information on what's going on in the industry. You see, we know these professionals wear many hats within their organization, and our Center of Excellence can be a place to quickly get up-to-date information to help them with their responsibilities. Today, we have a very relevant topic for every company, and definitely plan sponsors want to pay attention to cybersecurity. You know, when you say it's not a matter of if you will get hacked, but when you will get hacked. That's just quite depressing if you ask me. So joining me on the podcast today is one of my co-hosts, Joanne Zupka. She is a director in our Philadelphia office and is a very important member of our EVP team. So happy to have you with us, Joe. We also have Michael Stiglianese with us today, and I probably butchered his last name, so my apologies. He is a managing director in our consulting technology advisory services practice in New York. He has been with BDO close to five years. However, he has served the IT industry for over 30 years. He has experience in implementing financial and risk management solutions for global organizations. He is also an information security visionary with a wealth of perspective on global financial services and corporate risk. Mike, please introduce yourself and include anything extra that you would like to um, tell us about your career that obviously I might have missed. And then you must tell us something personal about yourself. Okay. Uh, Nice to be uh, talking with everyone today. And uh, I've been with uh, BDO now for five years. I had a prior career um, in a large organization where I was both on the finance side and also the risk management side. And a personal thing. Um, I guess what I'll do is I'll share something that's personal, but somewhat work related in the sense of how I drive a lot of the people that I work with crazy since uh, there's a tendency for them to when they're working with me to find emails in their inbox um, when they open up in the morning and I send them out at around 4 a.m. so people always are wondering, do I ever sleep? Now, there's a story behind that, because when I was with, you know, in my prior life, when I ran a organization, I had people reporting to me from Asia, Europe and everything else. So I used to have a cycle where I woke up early in the morning, communicated with Asia, um, ended up getting ready for work before I left, spoke to Europe, 
And then by the time I was in the office, I was dealing with North America. Um, however, um, old habits die hard. So I still work on that same calendar. And um, people are used to now when they work with me, waking up in the morning and finding four or five emails already for me. They, you know, basically time stamped at 4 a.m. So. Good Lord, Mike, when do you take a nap? I'm thinking like lunchtime is a good time for an hour like snooze. Joe, let me tell you, <laughs> I got in one of those emails this morning and that's exactly what I asked him. What are you doing up at 430? Yeah, so. well, it's just the uh, habits don't die. <laughs> understand that. Well, we're happy um, that you were able to join us so that we could talk about the, the topic of cybersecurity today. You know, it's important that we consider cybersecurity both at the plan sponsor and at the company level, but that we also need to consider it at the plan level too. Employees are companies' biggest assets, but also can be the biggest risk when it comes to cybersecurity, especially now with the changing work environment and more employees working remotely. You know, Michael, your introduction lets our audience know that you've been in the industry for quite some time. So in your view and experiences, um, please outline or rather explain the evolution of the cybersecurity management landscape. Uh, sure. And uh, a lot of that has to do, you know, when I look at the evolution of cybersecurity, a lot of it has to do with how the whole um, area of threats and risks have evolved over time. Um, so in some cases, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but when I first was uh, dealing with my first computers and the like, um, you know, the whole idea of somebody hacking into the computer was something which, when I looked at it from a risk perspective, it was pretty much low risk. Um, there weren't many people doing it. The threats were coming from, you know, the joke used to be that if somebody tried to break into your computer, you were envisioning that it was somebody in their mother's basement in their pajamas just doing it for fun. Um, and their capability to do it wasn't that great um, from the perspective that, you know, they didn't have a lot of tools and they were doing it just to prove they could do it. Now, if I fast forward to today, um, it's an entirely different scenario because, you know, back then um, the, the computer was first used to play some uh, early versions of video games to, to do certain things, do a little bit of email. Now it's the main area of commerce. Um, so just like anything else, when you're dealing with commerce, that's where the money is. And um, there's a lot of incentive and a lot of risk associated with people trying to break into processes. Um, when you look at the threats, the threats are high now. Um, things are much more sophisticated. The tools are much more sophisticated. And from the motivation side of it, and who's actually doing the potential hacking, um, you start looking at it and it becomes, uh, you're not dealing with somebody just doing it for fun. You're doing it with organized crime, nation states, hacktivists, all of which are doing this not as a side thing for fun, but as doing it a primary business um, and actually have tools available that in some cases um, are much superior to the tools that a lot of organizations have to defend themselves. So it's a whole different environment. If I were to look at today more specifically, now when I'm dealing in the work from home scenario um, and or like I like to joke now, it was work from home the first year. Now it's live at work. Um, that uh, basically 
what happens is you have all of these different entry points into the systems along the way. People have their own hookups and all, so they're more susceptible to phishing type things. Uh, being able to break into their uh, their their into their own wireless process, and uh, there's a whole lot more risk, which then means organizations need to be able to adjust to that and be able to put different uh, work on different techniques than before. Before it was kind of, you could build the moat around the fort. Um, now it's basically all of these different machines are out in the field and how do you protect yourself? Yeah, it, it really is a lot to um, encompass. So do you find that companies are more check the box or have that checklist approach or is it more they don't know what they don't know do they truly take it seriously based on their risk profile? And I know this is crazy because I'm about to give you a fourth question, but you know, what influences risk profile, customer data or employee data, industry? Can you expand on all that? Yeah, um, and, and actually, you know, the the question, the first question that you had really melds into a single answer in the sense that um, the good news is most organizations um at this point in time have uh seen enough that's happened in this space that they're they take cybersecurity serious um where we have an issue is in the sense of unless there's some of the larger organizations along the way they're often in a situation where they're taking it serious but they don't quite know what to do you know uh, cybersecurity can be confusing. You could look at various frameworks that are out there that tell you what you should have in place, and you could sort of checklist along the way and say that um, you have them, in, you know, you put them in place, but that doesn't necessarily make you secure. Um, you can look at it from the perspective of, do I have the tools in place that are making me secure along the way, um, which again is probably better than the checklist, However, it's not ideal if you don't put it in context of the overall risk management process because you could conceivably be overspending on cybersecurity. You could be just buying tools that you don't necessarily need um, and um, putting them in place and assuming that they make you secure when in some case, if they conflict with each other, they may actually make you less secure than you were before. Um, and your fourth question there, which was, how does this fit into risk profile and everything? Um, that that's that's really the key to the overall cybersecurity risk management process of understanding as an organization what type of assets you have that somebody may want, and and that's kind of an easy thing to do in the sense that um, you know people make it complex, but it, the reality is if it has value to you, it has value to somebody else. So that's an asset they want. So, you know, if you just use that as a guideline, that's what you have to protect. Now, what do you do to protect that? Well, it depends on the industry you're in, uh, understanding a little bit of what threats are out there against you. Um, who else would want that information? And then it's also uh, a function of when I look at your, when you look at your organization, determining What's your own risk appetite is? You know, I, I've, I've worked with clients where I've gone in there and they were willing to accept a, an enormous amount of cyber risk because they're an organization that felt they were in business of taking risk and this was just another business risk. I have uh, worked with other organizations 
that wanted to be as secure as possible along the way. And that was how they were fitting in with their overall risk appetite and risk profile from an organizational level. Um, the important thing is understanding what your risk profile is, understanding what your risk appetite is, and then basically managing so that those two things um, sort of coordinate with each other. The worst place to be is in a situation where you don't actually know where you are. So, you know, the key thing is make sure you put this in context of making a business decision so that the level of risk you're accepting is one that you are aware that you're accepting and as an organization willing to accept. Okay. So, Mike, let's spend some time talking about the risk profile and the risk appetite. Um, you know, plan sponsors, really, they're the named and uh, functioning fiduciaries of the retirement plan. They don't always know if the plans are even mentioned or covered by the organization's cybersecurity plans. So how does one go about um, getting that information and making sure that the retirement plans or the health and welfare plans are um, incorporated into that risk profile and risk appetite? Um, that's that's a, a good question. And that's one where in order to, if you don't have access to the information yourself, um, there's multiple ways of doing it. One would be actually working with the organizations you're dealing with and at least getting a understanding of what cybersecurity programs they have in place. Um, the other one is to uh, work off of assumptions along the way, which unfortunately, um, from your perspective, the best way of dealing with it when you have to work off assumptions is um, assuming that what you're dealing with is something that's high risk and that the organization would have a relatively, um, let's say, I wouldn't say low risk, but at least a medium risk appetite along the way and put the security and me measures that would do that. Um, ideally, you could get this information if you ask for it along the way. There's different ways you could do questionnaires that could give you that information. Um, but again, if you're going to work off the assumption, uh, my feeling is that it's usually safest for you, your organization to take a conservative approach and assume that people you're dealing with have information that could be risky and that they also don't have it, you know, at least a, a high risk appetite um, at, at best moderate or medium. Okay. Um, and so you talked earlier about, right, we were all kind of, we're all, our changing work environment, we're all working and living in the same place. Um, what are some steps that when working from home, especially if you're dealing with something that has the PII information that um, people can do to safeguard the information, right? Is it, we all heard the thing about stronger passwords, but um, I know you and I were having a conversation earlier um, about like the, the internet service at your house. If you could go back into that for a second or two. Uh, sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go through some things that um, as an organization that you can do with your employees to, to sort of improve what you're doing from a security perspective. Um, one of the basic ones, which, you know, has a cost to it if you're not doing it already, 
would be to basically supply them with the PCs that they use to access your information. Um, you know, in that case, you're able to control what type of software is on it um, and what type of, uh, you know, basically control what type of security is on there, including encryption and the like. Um, another area is working through a VPN, which is a, a, a sort of a tunnel that's created between your that computer and your organization that is relatively hard for anybody to hack into. So it creates security in that sense. Another technique to utilize is to make sure you have multi-factor authentication to get into your process. This way, if someone actually did steal a password, there is a secondary mechanism, you know, whether it's a text going to your cell phone or, uh, you know, another means so that they need a second type of uh, password or pin number to, to get in, and that number is constantly changing. And then the other one hat would have to do with working with your uh, employees of understanding what type of hookups they have within their organization. Because, I mean, everyone is, you know, when you're working from home, you're going through, whether it's Comcast, Spectrum, AT&T, you're going through a service provider, and it's all different service providers. And in some cases, the level of the service that you have dictates how secure it is. So working with your employees to make sure they have the most secure hookup they could with their service provider, even if that involves you picking up some of that cost, would be another way to help. And you use the acronym VPN. Does that stand for anything? It stands for Virtual Private Network. So it's basically a tunnel. Got it. Um, so what happens is it creates something um, between your machine and the uh, the source there, um, where basically what will happen is you go through that process and it creates walls around what you have. So it's very difficult for anybody to hack in and break into the middle of it. The way they would have to get in would be at either end, where if it's the organization, you're pretty secure. And if it's on the employee side, as long as they have password and multi-factor, it's fairly secure on that side. Yeah, I'm seeing you were mentioning um, the second level um, verification, the code. Um, yes. I know just, I do, I do pay, uh, paying my bills online and every uh, site I go to automatically request another code um, through my phone. So I, I'm, I think a lot of people are getting used to that, that second level of protection. Oh yeah, I mean, from a personal level, um, everyone should definitely take advantage of whatever they have from their banking and credit cards, they should probably turn on whatever notifications they have that transactions were processed and, and the like to send a text or a, an email to them and, and understand that process. I've actually had several of them where I've gotten a text that told me that I was somewhere on the other side of the country um, in a liquor store buying some wine at the time when I was driving on the Long Island Expressway. So. Um, <laughs> It definitely is worthwhile doing from the, you know, this gets into the cybersecurity to protect yourself. Yeah, and I've actually, um, one of the items that I've implemented for me personally is I make sure that I change it up. If um, two times in a row I ask for the code, then the next time, the third time I ask for something to be sent through my email just to always change it up so I don't get kind of stuck in a routine. It's a very, that's a very good technique. Um, that's one that, 
I, I applaud you on your discipline for doing it. Um, even though I'm in the field, I'm not as disciplined to do that. However, um, I might start now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're obviously EVP um, geeks. And so we get notification emails from the industry. So um, over several emails this week, we received notification that um, the United, United States Government Accountability Office um, issued just uh, last month, February 2021, a recommendation to the Department of Labor asking them to formally state whether it is you know, the fiduciary's responsibility to mitigate cybersecurity risk. And this one, they, they just talked about defined contribution plans. And to establish minimum expectations for addressing cybersecurity risk in DC plans. Now, um, I do find it interesting that the DOL agreed with the GAO's second recommendation, but did not state whether it agreed or disagreed with the first one. Um, the GAO obviously believes both recommendations are warranted. So for what they did for the report is the GAO interviewed key entities involved with DC plans, um, like plan sponsors, record keepers, Department of Labor, and um, industry stakeholders and reviewed relevant federal laws, regulations, and guidance. So what the Department of Labor um, did say, you know, plan sponsors with their fiduciary responsibilities to act prudently when administering plans would include cybersecurity. Um, that's all the Department of Labor said, but the Department of Labor, like I had previously said, did not clarify exact fiduciary responsibilities to mitigate cybersecurity. Um, so the Department of Labor has not established a minimum expectation for protecting, and we've talked about it, PII, personal identification, you know, information and plan assets. And I'm sorry, this is a long story, but you know, the Department of Labor did tell the GAO when interviewing the agency intends to issue a guidance. So basically what we, we've got is, is Department of Labor knows there needs to be guidance. However, there's not any guidance. So what do you think plan sponsors should do in regards to this information and cyber risk? You know, we know that many plan sponsors outsource the administration of their plans to these, you know, service providers, trustee custodians. You know, you can outsource the service, but you can't outsource the risk. So we would really like to say plan sponsors, what what do they need to do? Because Department of Labor is saying, hey, it is your responsibility, but we're not giving you guidance. Okay. Actually, I mean, that was a, a detailed question. Um, the fortunate thing is I can probably give you a rather straightforward and simplistic response to it. Um, Basically, you know, when people get regulated and regulators get involved, they come up with all these different regulatory frameworks. Um, the good news out there is that the National Institute of Standards and Technology, it's known as NIST, N-I-S-T, um, has a cybersecurity framework that is actually put out by the government. Um, it involves five functional areas that you deal with. Um, and 23 different categories of cybersecurity, um, which they've developed it for organizations to uh, utilize in making themselves secure. 
they uh, they understood that a lot of organizations didn't know what to do. A lot of the frameworks out there were quite complex. So how do they create some sort of standard? Um, and the good news is this is published by the government. Uh, the better news is the way they structured it. When regulators come out with whatever uh, regulation they have, um, you really just, it's almost like shuffling the deck chairs on a boat um, a little bit differently because it's the same controls. And this particular framework that's out there um, can actually map to every regulation out there. There's, there has not been one that's come out yet that it can't map to. So I would say in absence of any guidance, um, especially since you're dealing with um, government entities there and uh, you know areas where you may have to answer the government, if you utilize the uh, NIST, it's cybersecurity framework, NIST-CSF, that would be the safest way to go of looking at that and making sure your program uh, aligns with that framework in a way that makes sense for you. No, that that's uh, great advice, Mike. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we know that we've just taken a very small look into this very heavy topic um, and that there's there's more to come. Um, just to circle back one last time on the GA, GAO report, um, the FBI, um, it was mentioned in the report that the FBI received nearly half a million complaints of suspected cyber crimes, um, with the reported loss exceeding $3.5 billion. That is B as in billions. Um, but when we look at the retirement plan industry, as reported in 2018, because the DOL does love to share this information, there are 106 million people who are participating in defined contribution retirement plans with assets of nearly 6.3 trillion, that is T as in trillion. Um, so we can see, as Mike was talking earlier, like people out there and looking to see what's available when you're talking about money in the billions and, and in the trillions and so many people being involved in the 401k plans, um, we can see why cybersecurity is a very important topic. Absolutely. Um, you know, the subject of cybersecurity has so many aspects that plan sponsors and plans really need to consider, and that's prevention to detection. And, you know, with that, we want to hear from our listeners. What else do you want to know about cybersecurity as it relates to your benefit plans? You can send us questions, inquiries, anything you would like to hear about cybersecurity or any other topic. You can email us at bdotalksarissa at bdo.com. And thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you for coming on. Um, Joanne, of course, it's always great to have you. Um, as you can tell, we certainly love talking about retirement, retirement plans and what is happening in the HR industry, such as cybersecurity. Our BDO ERISA Center of Excellence on BDO.com touches on all topics retirement and other HR trends to keep plan sponsors up to date. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks ERISA. Past episodes are available at BDO.com slash BDO Talks ERISA. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also send us feedback, questions, or ideas you have for future topics at BDOTalksArissa at BDO.com. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's Arissa Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit BDO.com slash Arissa.